we're at the um, last session in our series of the Beatitudes, and it's been a tremendous blessing, challenge to go through, and as much as it's been a challenge to share. And I pray that it's also been a challenge for us to hear as well, um, because there are so often, um, so many times when we need to be challenged and we escape it. And yet the Lord would have us to be challenged in our hearts and in our lives because there is no point at which we can sit down and say, yes, praise God, I am like Jesus in all his fullness and glory, such as am I. No, none of us can. And as we have been going through these Beatitudes, we can appreciate the way in which actually they speak so clearly and graphically of the, the heart and life of our Lord um, as exemplified in the way that he lived. So, don't block your blessings. Maybe a, a sermon title you may not have expected to have heard preached here. Don't block your blessings. <laughs> yeah, listen, my Pentecostal roots are coming out today. Don't block your blessings, brethren. And it's a joy to be able to focus on that as a reality for us because it is true of God that he wants to bless us. That his purpose is to bless us. His will is to bless us. And that in Christ we are blessed. And so, as we consider this, we're going to just consider some practical reflections, just a few practical reflections on how we are able to engage with what we are learning about the Beatitudes in such a way that we are not hindering the fullness of what God wants to do in us, for us, and through us. Now, the sermon title might be a bit misleading, as I'm sure have the Beatitudes on face value been misleading for many of us. Um, So, a random picture, you might think. Um, unless you know. Those who know, know. Yeah? All right, then. So, um, here we have two individuals that were known for their part in a, in a particular series that was on. And um, would anyone remember their names before I ask this? And... and who? No, 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 no. Whitley. Whitley Gilbert. Dwayne Wayne and Whitley Gilbert. And um, this, this was the somewhat odd couple that went through seasons of just kind of looking like they were going to be and never going to be. Um, and then it got to the end. And you might want to go back and watch it on YouTube, so I won't spoil it for you. Um, so Dwayne Wayne and Whitley Gilbert. And... The, the, the series from which their, their characters are known is called A Different World. Um, some of you will remember. And you've never seen it in your life. I can't believe that, Pastor Rob. How do you mean? Listen, this is classic TV right here. 
Classic TV. Maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. You have to find an excuse to have missed this, though. Classic TV. A different world. And um, it was just, it was one of those portrayals of people of color in particular who were, you know, they were at university. They were um, connected to their, what do they call them? Sororities and the who? HBCUs, yeah, which um, the the um, basically black universities um, in the states and so on, and they were portraying a different side of life um, in contrast to what's normally portrayed on TV, as it relates to the the characters and the scenarios that black people were portrayed in, especially in that era, um, and so it seems that. If there was anything different about their world, that's what they were trying to portray as a different world. And the reality is that for us as believers, we live in a different world, even different to that which is portrayed. I mean, you look at the portrayal of Christians on TV and you kind of go back to Doc Cotton and Ned Flanders or um, the Vicar of Dibley or I don't know. You can think of all of these kind of portrayals and sit there looking at it thinking it's so far removed from my reality as a Christian. It doesn't really represent or reflect my reality as a Christian. Or more recently, you'll be sitting down watching Greenleaf and thinking the same thing, I hope. That, that doesn't reflect my reality as a Christian, I hope. Although, unfortunately, there are so many of us that can testify to witnessing those experiences. But the reality is, regardless of what's portrayed or even what we have in our minds as being a reflection or portrayal of Christianity, we live in a different world. And as we unpack the Beatitudes and as we consider the reality of what they mean for us, we have to appreciate that it looks like a different world, even maybe to the Christianity that we are familiar with. And this is what we're called to. And so even the notion of God wanting to bless us, it's not according to the notion of blessings that is commonly portrayed amongst Christians. It's not defined by material wealth. And it's not defined by us being comfortable and never challenged and never tested and never in pain and... That's not the picture of blessings that we see portrayed here. Nonetheless, each one of these beatitudes represents a distinctive by which a person is able to recognize that they are blessed. So let's look at the beatitudes again. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read um, for the last time in our series. Um, through the Beatitudes. And I'll be noting those who are able to close their eyes and do it from memory. <laughs> Giving you brownie points. Extra prayers on your behalf. <laughs> <laughs> so we're taking it from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. 
And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of our Lord and our Savior, our Redeemer, and our soon-coming King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the consistency of your word. The fact that your word is unchanging, even in changing times. Amid changing opinions and changing morals, we recognize your word is true, constant. And it stands the test of time. In fact, it stands every test that is brought against it. And in your word, we are able to have confidence, assurance, certainty. And Lord, you have declared these blessings as being the blessings that belong to your people who are called by your name. Your people who are filled with your spirit. Your people who are walking in your way. And Lord, our, our prayer and our desire is that that would be our testimony. That we would be able to look at our lives and recognize your blessings upon our lives. Because we are such people. Thank you, Lord, for such a privilege. I pray, Lord, that you would just solidify your work in our hearts and lives today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do take a seat. God wants to bless us as his people. And as we look at the Beatitudes, one of the things we recognize is that, again, to emphasize repetition for reinforcement. It is not the laying out of a set of instructions um, or, or a, a, a challenge for us to meet and keep in order to then be accepted by God and receive his blessing. But actually these are characteristics that are revealed in the lives of those who are his. And that being the case, they are indicators rather than instructions that we are his and that we are blessed. 
early on in the series, we talked about the fact that the term blessing relates to what we understand to be happiness, at least the word that we understand to be happiness. But that happiness wasn't our own personal sense of happiness in which we have what we want, when we want, without contest. I remind you of this quote from Sam Storms. The happiness being spoken of in the Beatitudes is an emphasis more on divine approval than human feeling. I mean, nothing should make us happier than to realize what God approves. And so the happiness or the blessing being spoken of is the result of God's declaration of his pleasure in us as a result of our embrace of his work. So it's still all about him. Our happiness ought to be all about him. We are um, uh, real quick to quote, delight yourself in the Lord and he will do what? We know the verse, right? And he will give you the desires of your heart. We've, we claim that in Jesus' name. And so often our focus is on the desires of our hearts being granted. That's what we want. We want what we want. But that verse has an opening clause that qualifies the result. Delight yourself in the Lord. Or may the Lord be your delight. Now, there's no doubt there are seasons in our life, I'm sure, as believers, if, if there is anyone in here who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, and Jesus is truly your Lord and your Savior. There are seasons when you experience the delight of God in your life. When you actually delight in the Lord. When you wake up and you, maybe you, you just had a sweet time in, in the word. As you was just preparing or it was just a sweet time of praise. Tears all in your eyes. You're fighting back tears as you're getting ready for work. And you just feel so blessed and delighted in the Lord. And it's not because, well, you know what? Everything in your life is okay. You were still in that place in your life where you had unfulfilled desires. You, didn't, you don't have the money that you desire. Or you, you don't have the children that you desire. Or you, but you still felt blessed in the Lord and delighted. Anyone testify to that? You had those moments. Amen. And what a sweet thing that is. To delight in the Lord for no other reason than for who he is. You, those moments when it's like the curtains have been opened, the blinds have been pulled up, and the, the light of God flood into your heart, and you just feel blessed. But we don't feel like that all the time. But despite how we feel, we are in relationship with the God who never changes. And when we are not feeling that way, God is still the same God. 
he's still the same God who caused us to feel that way, even when we feel overwhelmed by our tests and trials, and when we feel overwhelmed by our burdens, and we feel angry at the relationships in our life that are not going the way we... God is still the same God. And what God does in the Beatitudes is he helps to reveal to us that posture of heart, the attitude of heart that enables us to engage with him and experience that blessing in an even and ongoing way. The Beatitudes are marks of Christian maturity. And one of the hallmarks of a mature Christian is that we are not, like it says in Ephesians 4, thrown left and right, tossed to and fro by every breeze, wind, and doctrine. But there is a steadiness and a stability in our lives. There's a consistency in our lives that doesn't have us up one minute and down the next and up and around and then... But there's a steady, consistent, straight course in which we journey with the Lord. And so it's important that we do recognize that as we meditate on, we're finishing the series, but the scriptures aren't leaving the pages of our Bible. The verses are still there for us to meditate on, to chew over with the insights. The recordings are there. We can go back over them and allow them to nourish and strengthen us toward maturity. The goal isn't information, as I think I heard Pastor Rob pray earlier. I remind us of this growth equation that is a reality of the Christian life. See, it's not just about information. It's not just about knowledge. But that knowledge must be enlivened by revelation. And when I say revelation, I don't mean like new revelation. You know, when like the preachers say, I have a new revelation from God for you today, saints. And you're waiting for this throne room, you know, revelation that's going to be something. They say, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. We saved and served the same God yesterday, today, and forever. God has revealed himself in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 1 tells us. He is the sum total of God's revelation. So there isn't any more new revelation to be received that is additional to what Christ has already revealed. And so anything that we receive by way of understanding from God is merely an illumination in our time for us. And there are so often that we need that illumination that comes from God, things that we may overlook in the word, things concerning Christ that we may be ignorant of, and they need to be brought to our attention. And Jesus said in, in John chapter 14 that the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth. 
And so as those who believe in the Lord, we can have confidence that God is at work in us all the while to willing to do according to his good pleasure by the presence of his spirit in us. It's not reliant on us. And yet we have a part to play. Because just as the Holy Spirit enlightens our hearts and takes these things that we talk about and these things that are preached and that's written in the word and he begins to speak to us in our hearts, a response is required. Joshua said to the children of Israel, choose you today whom you will serve. That is the unchanging word of God. It remains true for you and for me today. Choose today. As long as every day is today, the, the word is still true and confronting us. Each day, we have to choose who we will serve. Are we going to serve ourselves or are we going to serve Christ? Are we going to serve ourselves or are we going to serve Christ? And this is where the application comes in. How are we going to apply what we know of the scriptures? It's not, it's not dependent on what we don't know. God's not going to hold us accountable for what we don't know. But for what we do know, God will hold us accountable. God will hold you accountable for the light that you're given. To what extent are you walking in the light that you've been given? Because that's when we see real transformation. That's when we see real growth happening in us. You see, one of the greatest barriers to us experiencing the blessing of God is pride. One of the greatest barriers to us experience the blessing of God is pride. Now, up we hear that word and we might kind of feel it, it speaks of someone who's really arrogant, really bossy. Ah, yeah, you know, I've got everything under control. I've got my game on lock. Like, anyone wants to talk to me about anything to do with my life, they don't have to say anything to me because I already know. And we think about the proverb, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we're like, hmm, that doesn't sound really healthy, having that kind of attitude. And yet, we don't really see how subtly we ourselves are so consistently filled with pride and so constantly conflicted with who we will really serve, whether we will serve the Lord or our own ends. Could simply be in the choices that we make. We know the Lord is challenging us concerning our health and well-being. And you think that sounds like such a minor thing to be challenged by the Lord over. 
But the Lord is concerned and cares about every aspect of our life. It's, it's not just, you know, the lust and the anger and the envy and the bad-mindedness. I don't know what you might call that. In. But it's also every aspect of our life in which he wants us to glorify him. And we make a choice to go against what we know to be right in terms of a healthy lifestyle. And we just give in to whatever. And we get that sense of conviction. Because we know we know better and ought to do better. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself today. But the reality is that that might be a subtle example, but it is a real one that translates across so many areas of our lives. How we engage with the body of believers that are our brothers and sisters in Christ. How we fundamentally love them. See, you can't have genuine love if you are filled with pride. Otherwise, that love isn't genuine. You can't have genuine love if your focus is on yourself. Because then your love that is given is merely self-seeking. I heard somebody say, uh, who was it? There was this brother. Pastor Rob, I'm going to take you back right now. Rob, you, you remember um, Maximize Manhood? I told you, I've got to take you back. Oh, come on now. There was a brother. He was like the men's ministry guru of the 80s and 90s, probably. Yeah, yeah, I would say. His name was Edwin Lewis Cole, or Ed Cole. He wrote a book called Maximize Manhood. Uh, what was the other one? Communication, Sex, and Money. I mean, these, if you find those books now, just buy them up. <laughs> Seriously, um, and absolute classics. And he, I remember, he, I think I, I, he's the first person I heard say this statement. He said... What is the difference between love and lust? Amen? Amen. All right then. He said, lust is the desire to get at the expense of others. Love is the desire to give at the expense of yourself. You need to write that down because I didn't need that's, that's just from memory. I haven't got a quote for you to take a picture of. Lust is the desire to get at the expense of others. But love is the desire to give at the expense of yourself. And so often what we would call love is nothing more than lust. And not even just talking about lust in terms of sexual terms. You can lust for other things other than just sex. You can lust for power. You can lust for respect. You can lust for approval. You can lust for material things. Lust is just uh, an, I was going to say, inordinate desire to have um, or an inappropriate or a misplaced desire to want something. That's what the Bible 
um, teaches us that lust is. So it, it's not just sexually oriented, but it includes that. Mm. And so in this, we see that even in our loving, the, the brethren, which in some ways can kind of sum up the Beatitudes. Are we doing that with a heart of self-centeredness, self-focused desire and intention, or is it other-focused to the glory of God? Somebody else once said, and I don't know who this is, I can't quote them, so. The, the difference, there, there are two letters that make the difference between glorying in sin and glorying in the sun. And if you think about sin and sun, the two letters, I, which is at the heart of sin, and O, which is, they said, represents others, which is at the heart of the sun. God is other person-centered. When he made humans, he didn't make humans because he had any deficiency in himself. Because, you know, people say God was lonely. No, God wasn't lonely. <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit jamming in eternity nicely. All of them are perfect, so what are they lacking? Fellowship is sweet eternally. But, I mean, even the angels, I mean, they didn't add anything to God. And yet, God makes humanity because he desires to bless he desires that there would be a people who would know his love and would, would recognize his love and glory in his love. And so are we eye-focused or other-focused? Now, here's a little practical thing that I think will give us another um, insight as to how we translate this. And, and this is from leadership theory. And there's so much. Uh, what's my man's name? Um, Maxwell. John Maxwell. This guy's like highly regarded as a leadership guru. And everybody buys his stuff and listens to his stuff and so on and so forth. And one of the things we recognize is that the, the most fundamental truths that we see that are enduring in life tend to find their root in Scripture. Um, and John Maxwell, as a Christian, um, recognizes that also. What kind of person are you? <laughs> so, generally you have can-dos. I'd like to say there's, there's two, two types, but uh, it's four actually when you break it down. But it's all, about to, it's all to do with your willingness and what you do with that willingness. Yeah? So you have some people top left. They are can-do people and will-do people. You ask them to do something and they can do it, and they will do it, and they're happy to do it, and they don't do it grudgingly. You've got 
some people who are can't do and will do, bottom left. So they can't do it, but they're willing to try. They're willing to try. Now, they may not, it may take them some time, they may not succeed, but they're willing to entertain the conversation. Then you have some people who are in the won't do category that um, they can do, but they won't do it. I'm, I'm not doing that. But will you? I'm not doing that. <laughs> but you can't. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. Don't ask me again, please. Because I'm not doing it. And you know certain people, when they've done told you that, you know it's over. The conversation's over. You just need to move on, find someone else, or whatever the problem is, it's going to stay there because they are not going to do it. Yeah? You look like exposing each other. Why are you pointing? Don't, don't be doing this. Just meditate for yourself. Yeah? <laughs> Self-reflection. <laughs> and then you've got some people who I can't do and won't do. Now, I can't do that, and I'm not going to try. I'm not going to learn. I'm not even going to entertain it. It's just. And which of these would we say there is a, a sense of pride seated in them? I mean, there can be pride in all of them in the sense of I could do something and I will do it and I'm going to show you how great I am. So I'm not talking about in that sense. <clears throat> but in a fundamental sense. Which of these is not other-centered? Is not other-centered. So can do, won't do is not other-centered. Can't do, won't do is not other-centered. Now you might think to yourself, you know, reasonably, well, if you can't do it, why are you going to like... Beat up yourself to even consider it. Just say you can't do it and keep it moving. Everybody knows where we stand. It's fine. But because you can't do it, what we're seeing here is suggesting that your willingness to try could result in you helping to find a solution even if you're not the solution. Sometimes there are people who can do and won't do because their circumstances won't allow for it. And even in that situation, the willingness to say, look, you know what? Why don't you try X, Y, or Z? Or maybe I can just delegate that to someone else. Or maybe if you consider this option, and that willingness to kind of even offer solutions and be solution-oriented can be an expression of being other person-centered. And so it's so easy for us to fall into what in the can-do, won't-do, can't-do, won't-do column they call an inappropriate attitude. It's so easy for us to find ourselves in that place and then justify ourselves by saying, well, that's just the way I am. That's just me. As if we could stand before the Lord with the saints and um, before the bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, which is different to the great white throne judgment, 
So don't get nervous. This isn't God getting ready to throw you into hell because you wouldn't do what you could have done. <laughs> but this is the Lord evaluating our lives. So we stand before 2 Corinthians 5. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ as believers. And the Lord's going to evaluate, what do we do with our lives? And we're just going to stand up before Jesus and say, well, that's just the way I was, Lord. That's just my temperament. You see, all of us are marred by sin. We're corrupted by sin. What kind of temperament do we think that Jesus had? Jesus had the perfect temperament. He was loving and compassionate in those times that he needed to be. He was just and holy and indignant in those times that he needed to be. He would care for others sacrificially, but also take time for himself when he drew away to pray and spend time with the Father. So we see the perfectly balanced temperament in Jesus. And in as much as individually we have biases, we have strengths and weaknesses, the challenge is not that we would remain in that place, but that we would always be striving to be like Jesus. Jesus, who has the perfect temperament. And the Lord takes our strengths and weaknesses, and as community and as family and as brothers and sisters in Christ, he allows them to complement one another as we're all pressing on towards godliness. Towards Christ-likeness. And so it's not that God sees our strengths and weaknesses as a hindrance. Especially as we come together in love. With an other person-centered mindset. Now, I want to just share what we see in Scripture as being three conditions that, that nurture um, and, and um, give place to the appreciation and experience of the blessings of the Beatitudes. Faith, righteousness, and obedience. And as we look through the scriptures, um, and as we look through the New Testament, and we see how this term blessed and blessing is used, one of the things we recognize is that in each occasion, so there's a, a brother called John Blanchard, he done a study on this, and he looked at every occasion in which blessed and blessing is used, so there are 47 occasions. And in every instance, there is a sense in which blessing is associated with our response to God. It is not us earning the blessing, but in us responding to God and what he has done, the blessing is experienced. Twelve of those instances relate to faith. 
having faith. In having faith, we are blessed. John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That willingness to take God at his word and trust in him. Fundamentally, that's what faith is. Trusting in God as a result of taking him at his word. In fact, we see Jeremiah say it like this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. Now, you, you want to sit down and meditate on that for a minute and, and ask yourself, why is there a, a distinction between the two types of trust being stated there? To trust in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. There are many people who trust in the Lord. I trust in the Lord. I trust in Jesus. But when it comes to the situations and the challenges of life, they're trusting in other things. I trust in the Lord, but... My money is my trust. My, my education is my trust. My family name is my trust. My, and the list goes on. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.6 says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now remember this blessing, this happiness is us recognizing God's approval and God's happiness over us and in us because of our embrace of his work. And the first step is to have faith. The religious leaders challenged Jesus as he stood there and challenged them concerning their heritage. And their disobedience to the law. And they said, so, so what must we do that we work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you must do. Believe in God and the one whom he has sent. See, it's not about the commandments. And it's about having faith in the Lord. This is what is pleasing to him. And so as you consider being poor in spirit, mourning, being meek, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, as you consider being uh, pure in heart or a peacemaker, being persecuted, do you believe, do you genuinely trust that in that state of life, you are blessed. Because if you don't believe it, you're not going to be it. And if you don't be it, you're not going to experience the blessing of it. Secondly, righteousness. Psalm 32, verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. 
Romans 4, 8 says it like this. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. This is the great reward of God, forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. And there is no greater blessing than we could, that we could experience in our life than to know the blessing of forgiveness. And as we know the blessing of forgiveness, we walk in that righteousness that has been granted to us by God through Jesus. Living a righteous life, dying a sinner's death, all in our place as affirmed by his resurrection from the dead. Satisfaction guaranteed. The third one, obedience. Illustration of this. And as he said these things from Luke 11, 27, 28, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nurse. I'm reiterating that sense of what we hear in religious circles oftentimes um, that the, the Mary, the blessed virgin mother. A religious phrase that is often said, Mary, the blessed virgin mother. And so we see this sentiment being expressed here. But look at what Jesus says in response. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. She may well have been chosen for that purpose. In which she didn't really have much choice. But what choices are we going to make before God as we receive his word? There is a blessing in our obedience. And in our um, community of grace and our focus on the grace of God, we so often relax that reality that actually there is something for us to do as grace-filled believers. Salvation is not of works. It's granted as a gift by grace. Praise be to God. Our forgiveness is not something that we earn. We, we, we mess up. We flop as a Christian. And so we know that by God's grace and mercy, he forgives us and he restores us and he renews us. And we can get into a place where we actually feel as though we have no responsibility whatsoever. That's not what we see presented in the pages of the New Testament. What we see in the Bible is this healthy tension, like a guitar string being held at two ends. It's only then when that's finely tuned that the music sounds right. And there are tensions. There is God's sovereignty and God's grace. And there is also human responsibility and our obedience. And there is blessing in our obedience. And 
And yet our blessings can also be blocked by our disobedience. The blessing that we would have experienced, the blessing that we would have encountered can be blocked. And so, where are you at in your faith, in your trust in God? We are to trust God in all things and for all things. When we have and when we don't have, you know, one of the real challenges, I remember being with a group of guys in Philadelphia. Oh, I don't know, 2001 maybe, something like that. And there were a lot of guys who were involved in music ministry. And at that time, these guys were not really household names. And I remember standing there thinking, wow, I so appreciate these guys and what they do and how God uses them musically. Like these guys have had a life-changing impact on me. And as I stood there, I remember saying, we were getting ready to go. Um, it was myself, Pastor Rob. I think Jason might have been with us. We was in... Um, uh, a park, it was a, they was having like a cookout and there's a load of guys there and I remember just saying, look, you know, I've got something really on my heart that I want to share. I said, look, guys, I want you to really just be, be, be considerate and be cautious of the trials that you will face. The greatest of which will be success. Because for me, it was clear that these guys were destined to go on and to be great successes in what they do, relatively speaking. I don't mean necessarily. I mean, some of them went on to be Grammy Award winning and so on and so forth. And yet, you know, they weren't selling um, the kind of numbers that you'd expect secular rappers. But in their own lane, in their own right, they went on to be a success. And it was just apparent that so often, the biggest challenge we find in our life is not the hardship, but the, the season of blessing, the success that we experience. We see in life when we look at the celebrities and the, the rich and famous and so on, they get to that place, they don't know what to do with all that they have. And without any anchor, and without any foundation, it becomes their downfall and the corruption. You look at the great civilizations throughout history, and they say... Nine out of ten times, the great empires, Roman Empire and all these empires, Greek Empire, they collapsed as a result of implosion and not as a result of external conflict. The Roman Empire at its height crumbled from within. And for us as believers... The greatest challenge, we think hard times are a challenge. But when we're blessed in abundance, do we know what to do with that? Are we anchored in such a way that we're still filled with faith? We still walk in the righteousness of Christ. That we're still prepared to be obedient. It's been such a blessing because... In my years as a Christian, I've met many Christians from many walks of life. And you know what it's like when you meet someone and you kind of have a window into their world and you kind of, it's, a, it's different to your world. 
and you look at that and you look at where they are and how they function and how they serve the Lord and how they love Jesus and you're just like, praise be to God, that's, that's a revelation to me. That someone living in that sphere of life could be walking with the Lord in that way. And in those times when I've met people who are rich, I mean rich by human standards, who are well off, who are well educated, Oxford and Cambridge graduates, professors and so on and so forth. And they have a deep-seated conviction and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And even with all of their abundance and all of their wealth and their success and status and respect and even power and influence, they are so deeply submitted to Christ and committed to his word, trusting him in all things. There's something so powerful in that testimony and so humbling to see how they deal with their success, quote-unquote. Some of the most generous benefactors, there's a number of us who have been helped through theological study at, at, at Bible school by individuals. There's one individual. He would take his, um, what do they call that? You know, up in the city when the, the hedge funds, like he, he runs hedge funds, and he would take his bonus and use that as a pot with which he would donate to those who are wanting to grow in their study of scripture and further their progress in the Lord. Take his bonus, you know. That's how his, his bonus was more than our salary. <laughs> and there was about five of us at one time rinsing this brother. <laughs> Being blessed by him. And yet... It's not impossible for us to experience blessing and to steward that and to channel that and to direct that in ways that are God-glorifying. And so as we reflect on the, the condition and posture of heart that leads to that place, we recognize that it is those who are poor in spirit are blessed in that way. It's those who mourn at sin in themselves and around. Recognizing there is no excuse or exemption. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who like Paul would say, I am the chief of sinners. Crying out, looking to the Lord for redemption. Those who in their mourning have a healthy sense of meekness, who do not think of themselves more highly than they ought to, but submit their strengths to Christ to be expressed and stewarded and administered in ways that are glorifying to him and not self-seeking. That in doing so, they would be those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who desire to see more of God in their lives and in their families and in our communities. And as a result, are moved with mercy and compassion 
to forgive and to bless even those who are in dire straits by their own choices. See, such people hold a purity of heart that says, I want what God wants over what I want. It's a single-minded focus that conditions a heart with genuine intentions in any given situation. With a sincerity to please God as being that which is pure and not just being right in their own eyes. Such individuals will be moved to be peacemakers. Not just seeking peace between conflicting individuals, but even seeking peace when we are violated and offended ourselves and want to go to war. And evidently, that, that kind of heart is needed because all who will live godly in Christ Jesus must suffer persecution. And when being regarded and recognized as a child of God with such qualities, it will invite persecution because our very presence will be convicting to others. And so... Let us not block our blessings that God has purposed for our lives. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.